Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. This is a house of worship. This is a place of praise. Where every demon trembles, where we proclaim your name. Come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything. In the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. Oh, come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. This is a house of miracles. Amen and amen. Welcome to the Kingdom Corner podcast once again on this warm summer's day. The great Matt Geib with you here in the great Pacific Northwest, coming again with a lesson, a word. I believe God has given me a real extended and basic but revelatory word from our passage that we're going to be going into, and that's in Ephesians. We have been in the book of Ephesians. We've been in chapter 2, and I will read the passage again, and then we're going to get into the lesson. And we're, God gave me something really good on this, and it's something I believe that has been building for two years, and I'm not sure exactly where it will all go, I believe it's a, a message for our time and season. I believe it's an apostolic message, in fact. I'll say that confidently. Not that I'm anything, but the giver is the one that's everything, the one that has given this. Ephesians 2, 12 to 22 then. That at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no promise and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus— you who once were far off, and he's talking about the Gentiles, we talked about this before, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. And he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews had somewhat of a relationship with God through the Abrahamic covenant, but even they had gotten into religion uh, more so than relationship. But he made uh, both of them one. But now in Christ, you who were once were far off were brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made both one, both the Jew and the Gentile, has broken down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity or hostility that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two. We've talked about the third nation the last time we were together. This is that one new man that he's made from the two bodies of the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. Let's see. 
and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Father, we just pray that you would take the words of this passage today and the words that I speak, these simple words, and you would just impart them to your people, those that listen today, tomorrow, in the future. May it lift them up. May it show them a new dynamic way that they can just be intimate with you, that they can come into relationship with you. Just, Lord, impart it to their hearts. Make it real to them in Jesus' name. So the last time we were together, we talked about the kingdom life that we all came into when we became fellow citizens with the saints, verse 19. And we also talked in verse 19 how we became members of the household of God. We really became the family of God. And I emphasized, I think it was the scripture in Peter, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you to his marvelous light. That's a beautiful scripture we talked about. Now we're going to get into actually the last three verses here, and I think we're going to spend considerable time here because God really gave me something here. And this is what we're talking about here. Verse 20, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building has been fitly framed together into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Amen and amen. That's the house of miracles that we're going to talk about today. And I'll show you, as we really get into this teaching, how this temple, what I call the quickening temple of God, this is the title of the message today or the lesson, the quickening life-giving temple of God, how that will become a house of miracles. It's so exciting. We'll go through an introduction. We'll talk about the house of God. We want to talk a bit about worshiping in spirit and truth that Jesus spoke to the woman at the well about, John 4, 23 to 24. We're going to talk about building the quickening temple, Ephesians 2, 20 to 22. We're going to talk about this temple needing supervisors and workers to be built. Who do you think those are? Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And then we're going to discuss the tools needed to build this spiritual temple, this spiritual house. And then the next thing, just like in your mother's house, or maybe if you're now married, your wife has them. My wife has a few. We Some of us have house plants. And actually, some people even have a fruit tree in their house that I've seen. Fruit plants and trees in the temple, John 15. <laughs> and then the conclusion. Here's my contention through this lesson and what God has been showing me actually in these last two years. This message really came out of study of the temple and the tabernacle. I taught a class on Exodus some time ago, and God gave me, started to give me this revelation. And just in the last week or two, a number of these scriptures all came together for me. And this is what this lesson is about, quickening temple, life-giving temple of God. And here is my contention. I'll just put it out here simply for you. 
Each personal saint is a temple that God inhabits personally. In other words, God dwells in us. Scriptures say that. We'll show you today. However, the greater glory is that in this time and season, God is to beginning or starting to build a quickening, life-giving, living temple through the builders, the builders being apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, plus individual saints. And it's made up corporately of millions of saints throughout the whole world gathered together in unity, worshiping corporately, which will then revolutionize the world. I was reminded of Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So that's my lesson. That's the contention of my lesson that I'm making. This is what we're going to go through here in the next couple, at least today, probably next week. And I'm just going to start with an introduction. Our main lesson is based in Ephesians, of course. That's what we've been going through. But this, this study came out of that. And anyway, I want to start with an introduction when we're talking about the living, breathing, uh, life-giving temple of God. Uh, we'll give you a bit of a history. God created mankind, all of us, in order to have relationship with him. Amen? God created us to have relationship with him. Genesis 1, and 27, right away. Let us... God said, make man in our image after our likeness, all right? Let us make man in our image and our likeness. And that strikes me right away. You know, just like those of you that are mothers and fathers out there or even sons and daughters, you know you are made in the image of your mother and father, and you are made in the likeness of your mother and father. And just like our Heavenly Father He made us in his image because he's happy with the way he is, and he wants us to be like him. We we take joy in our own sons and daughters as well. That, to me, speaks of relationship. He wanted relationship with us, all right? Genesis uh, 3.8 speaks about God was walking around in the garden. Of course, I believe that's figuratively. He could have come down in the body of a person. He could do what he wants, and he was looking for Adam and Eve. But they had fallen, they had eaten of the tree of the, if you know the story of creation, eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and therefore they were ashamed and they were hiding from God. But it says in the cool of the day, he came down to talk with them. That to me shows that God wanted relationship. Enoch is another man that God had relationship with. Genesis 5, 23 and 24 says, Enoch was not for God took him. It's interesting, you read through all the genealogy there before verses 23 and 24. Of all these men, this man was born, he lived, and he died. This man was born, he lived, and he died. This man was born, he lived, and he died. Then it gets down to 23 and 24, and Genesis says, Enoch was born, he lived, but he was not. Why? Because God took him. God was so enamored with Enoch, must have had such a close relationship with him, that he couldn't stand to be apart from him. That's relationship. By faith, Hebrews 11.5 says, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. And that's a type of the rapture. The church will be raptured someday. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So he had a relationship with God, did he not? Uh, Genesis, we could go on to... 
the Genesis 6, the creation goes on and all these people are born. And it seemed like every man and woman did evil in everything. Their whole imaginings were evil, it talks about. And then it comes upon Noah, and one verse says there, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And of course, we know he went on and built the ark that he and the eight members of his family were saved from the flood in. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. He had a relationship with him. Genesis 12, 1 to 9. I'm just going through, just hitting the high points of the history of the Old Testament. Abraham receives the promise of a godly nation uh, from his lineage. Remember, if you look through Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, those chapters, read them all. You can read about the history of Abraham and how he was, you know, born to his father. And God one time appeared to him and said, get out of this land and go to a land I show you. Didn't even say where it was, and he ended up in Canaan. And then God began to talk more to Abraham, and he began to say in Genesis 22, 15 to 18, Genesis 22, 15 to 18, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In other words, he had a converse, he was having conversations with God. He was having a relationship with God. Relationship was established with Abraham and his you know, offspring, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was passed on. We could say this was the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant. And in those passages there, Genesis 12 through all these chapters up to 22, you can read. I didn't put it down here, but it says he took him out one time outside of his tent, and he said, Abraham, your seed is going to be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the desert. That's how many there are going to be. And uh, so, God not only wanted a relationship with one man or one family, but he wanted it with a whole nation. So God was prophetically speaking of not only the Jewish nation, but I believe of the church itself, the church of Jesus Christ. Let's read through this verse. This is such one of my favorite verses. When I was in junior high and high school, I had this taped to my locker. I carried it with me. I still have the uh, scripture here that I saved it on a four by six card. Because I had such a problem, even though I was a Christian, with self-esteem and with low esteem, low self-esteem when I was a young teenager. Psalm 139, 1 to 18. This is a psalm by David. Lord, you have searched me thoroughly. You have known me. You know my down-sitting and my uprising. You understand my thoughts afar off. You sift and search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For as there is not a word in my tongue, still unmuttered, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have beset me and shut me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Your infinite knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high above me. I cannot reach it. Where could I go from your spirit? Or where could I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, behold, you come there. If I take the wings of the morning or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the night shall be the only light about me, even the darkness hides nothing from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you did form my inward parts. This is so beautiful. You knit them together in my mother's womb. 
I will confess and praise you, for you are fearful and wonderful. Fearful and wonderful, and for the awful, awful, like awe, full of awe, uh, wonder of my birth. Wonderful are your works, and that my inner self knows right well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was formed in the secret and intricately and curiosity, curiously wrought as if embroidered with various colors in the depths of the earth, a region of darkness and mystery, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, all the days of my life are written, even before ever they took shape, when as yet there was none of them. How precious and weighty also are your thoughts to me, O God. Listen to this. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awoke, could I count to the end? <laughs> I would still be with you. This is a, just a beautiful passage about how God just looks after us, how he created us, how he knows everything about us. However, wherever we go, we can't really escape him. Okay? So we've talked about the history of man and how it began and creation and how all throughout creation God wanted a relationship with men. And then he actually wanted to have a relationship with a nation. So let's look at the next part of the outline. That was the introduction, number one. Number two, a house for God. Exodus 3.12. This kind of what happened here is they went into, we had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And through Jacob came Joseph. And Joseph ended up being second in command down in Egypt. And you know, over 400 years there, the uh, Egyptians had enslaved the Israelites in slavery to build the, their temples and probably the pyramids and all that. And so they were crying out and crying out for deliverance. And that's when Moses was raised up. And um, God said Moses would be the deliverer. So he was even then thinking of this nation of people that was forming, the Israelites. And he said to Moses in a conversation, you know, not only will you be the deliverer, but ye will bring these people out, Exodus 3.12, so you shall serve or worship me or worship God upon this mountain. Some translations say serve. Some translations use that word, that Hebrew word there as worship. I want you to free those people so they can come and worship me, so they can have relationship with me on this mountain. And I believe doesn't really say, but I believe what was going to happen next is what God commanded them to do once he freed them, and they, they went across the Red Sea, and of course the Egyptians all drowned in the sea, and they brought them out, and they were in the wilderness. God, one of the first things he said to Moses, he said, let them make me a sanctuary, Exodus 25, 8. Let them make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell among them according to all that I show you that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you make it, can make it. So the tabernacle was a long, oblong tent that they were going to make, and they had these different men of God that God called that had, were, had very artistic gifts, and he even gifted them more so they could make all the designs and the patterns in the tabernacle, and they were going to be made after another pattern of a tabernacle, and that was the heavenly tabernacle. Hebrews 8, 5, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was monished, admonished, or told by God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the tabernacle showed to thee. 
in the mount. In other words, God was showing him a, a pattern of an, a heavenly tabernacle that they could basically duplicate it when they built their own tabernacle. Sanctuary, dwell, tabernacle, temple, all these words basically, when you look at them in the Hebrew, they basically mean what our words mean. Like um, sanctuary means sanctuary, chapel. It's translated this way, holy place. Dwell means to rest or abide or reside or settle down in. That's what God wanted to do. He wanted to abide in the house to be with them. Tabernacle means dwelling place, habitation, tent, temple, specifically the tabernacle Moses built. 328 times mentioned in 300 verses is the tabernacle word. 328 times it's mentioned in 300 verses are 50 chapters in the Bible. So that's a very important topic because when we got into it, when I started to study it and had a class in a church here in Washington, we begin to find that all the furniture and all the tapestry of the tabernacle, it all typologically or metaphorically, I can use that word for you, point to Jesus Christ and to his work on Calvary, you know, cleansing by the high priest, the high priest representing Jesus and cleansing in the laver, you know, being cleansed by his blood and all the sacrifices there. So then we go on and there was a tabernacle and then we come into the time of David King David, we can skip forward to that. And David was really hungry or jealous, um, really wanted to make God a house, a more permanent house. And God said, basically, in First Chronicles 22, 5 to 10, that he, that Solomon, David's son, would build the house. And it says, so David, and I'm reading in First Chronicles 22, 5 to 10, so David made abundant preparations unto his death. This is verse 5, 2 Chronicles 22, 5. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, build a house in the name of the Lord. I wanted to do it, but I have shed, I'm just paraphrasing, I'd shed, God told me I'd shed too much blood, so you would be called to do it. A son shall be born to you, is what God told David, who shall be a man of rest. This is verse 9, 1 Chronicles 22, 9. And I will give him rest. Solomon's name meant rest or peace from all his enemies all around. And we knew there were 40 years of peace and prosperity in Israel at this time. There were no wars under Solomon. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel. Let's see. In his days, he shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. See, the forever and ever, because David, Solomon, they are all the lineage of Christ. Solomon's name meant rest, meant rest or meant peace, because God came down in that temple and a, he made his abode there, or he rested or resided there. And just like we Typologically speaking, he rests or abides inside of us by his spirit. It's typological of that. It means rest. We come into that Holy Spirit rest when he comes in us, into us. 1 Kings 8, 20 and 21 are a cross-reference to 1 Chronicles 22, 5 and through 10. I have built a temple for the Lord of the Lord God of Israel. That's what Solomon said. He had built a temple for the Lord God of Israel. So that's part two. Number one was the introduction. Number two, the uh, introduction to the history of how God wanted a relationship with mankind. And uh, we showed examples with all these different men, you know, Abraham and 
Noah and Enoch and Adam and Eve, of course, how God had always been in the picture and wanting relationship with these men. And we showed that. And then from there, we went to God wanted a house where he could meet with his people in, a physical house. First, we had the tabernacle, and then Solomon built the temple. And now we're going to get into the new covenant. That's old covenant, which was more of a, he would come down upon people, and he would come down upon groups of people or individual people more than he would be inside of them. Okay, of course, I think David was probably an exception to that. But for the most part, these were times of visitation, not habitation. He didn't reside inside of people permanently. But Jesus Christ changed all that. And that's the next part of this study. Part three, God desires to be worshiped in spirit and truth. God desires to be worshiped in spirit and truth. Now the new covenant is ushered in. And now we go from a relationship of God just visiting different men and women or, you know, in the temple where people, you know, that's the place where most people would meet him because they came together corporately and he come down in that temple or come down in that tabernacle. But now that was going to change from one of just visitation to a relationship of habitation. And we read John 4, 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, so Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he wants a drink of water, and they begin to have this conversation, and you'll see as we go on here what is said. But let's break this scripture down a little bit. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Let's get that word in, like the English word in. In, in the Greek word, it's in, and it means a fixed position in place, a state, or it shows a time, or shows the relationship of rest. I think there's a little fuller meaning there, a fixed position. So where's that fixed position? He wants to worship, be worshipped in spirit and truth. We're going to find out where is that fixed position, or in a state of time, and it's a relationship of rest. You know, it's not just about a position, but it's actually about time and it's about rest. It's so beautiful. The hour is coming and now is. This so beautifully states this. The point before this, it had not been the time or the season for this hour to take place. The hour is coming and now is. In other words, the hour hadn't been there before, okay? And now under Jesus, he's going to usher that hour in. John 4, 19 to 21. Let's look a little bit about the uh, the conversation he and the woman had here. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Did you get that? Uh, Let's, let's look at that. The point, worship is no longer about a physical building or location. She was asking about worshiping on a mountain or the Jews would go to Jerusalem. And he said, no, no, that's not what's going to happen. The hour is coming and what now is you'll neither worship on the mountain or in Jerusalem. And then he goes into verse 23, true worshipers, you know, the hour is coming when they will worship in spirit and in truth. So 
This brings me to the other part here of worshiping in spirit and truth. Just what does that mean? Let's look at Romans 12.1. Let's read that. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The NIV, I like the way it says it, which is your true and proper worship. Okay, what is true and proper worship? But worshiping in our bodies, in spirit and in truth, through our bodies, presenting our bodies. That's what he's talking about. Your physical body is now where true worship is to take place. Inside of you, through the actions of your body, through the actions of your words, through what you're doing, that all can be worship unto him. Whether it's, it could even be going down to the market and getting groceries for your wife. That could be an act of worship. It's not just, we've always thought of worship, a lot of Christians for a long time thought of worship as just singing songs in church. But it's far more than that. It could be giving an offering to the Lord. It could be helping your neighbor. You know, all these are acts of worship. Of course, it's prayer. Of course, it's singing songs. But it's actually giving of your whole life as a faith offering of worship. Lord, I'm, I'm doing this for you. It's not just for my wife. It's not just for my neighbor. Yes, it's for them. I love them because you put your love within me, but it's because I love you. I lay my life down for my neighbor. I lay my life down for my wife. I give this love offering to you because I want to bless this missionary because he needs that. I offer that to you, right? That's what we're talking about. That's true and proper worship. Let's look at habitation for a minute, because we're talking about uh, habitation of the Spirit. John 4, 24 says, you know, that He wants to inhabit us. John 14, 16 to 18. We're going to read these scriptures here. They're really good. A personal habitation in Spirit is what we're going to note here. John 14, 16 to 18. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Let's hit on this here. We said that worship, Jesus said in John 4, 23 and 24, worship was in spirit and in truth. And here he's talking to his disciples, and he's talking about a spirit. When they have the spirit, what will... What will um, be right alongside there, truth, a spirit of truth. That's defined what truth, what the spirit is. It's truth. God, God brings truth in his spirit. And it says then the next part that Jesus spoke about, he wants to be worshiped in spirit and in truth. Well, the spirit will dwell within you. That's what it says in this verse. Let's look at John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth. See, he's defining the helper as being the spirit of truth. Here we go again. It's a spirit and it's truth. So we're, we're having those things. We'll proceed from the Father and he'll testify of me, which is truth, testimony of truth, okay? John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. However, when he, what? The spirit of truth. Here, here we go again. God wants to be worshiped in spirit and in truth. And here he talks about when the spirit of truth comes and he'll guide you what? Into truth. See how that's all tied together? 
And then 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17 really ties this down. Do you not know that you, singular, are the temple of God? He's talking to you and I, brother and sister. You, singular, are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Amen. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. And here we go again, which temple you, singular, are. So we are the temple of God that the Spirit of God dwells in, and that gives us the ability, just like he kept saying to the disciples here about bringing truth, about that we can worship him then, because he's brought us truth through the Spirit, we can then worship him through Spirit and the truth. And like it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, how do we do that? By offering our bodies as spiritual service of worship, or, you know, that's true and proper worship. So let's go to the next point. And this is where we're going to leave off today. Pretty soon here, we're going to leave off because this is, this is the heart of this message, the heart of this word. It all comes out of Ephesians 2, which we have been studying. We've been studying Ephesians 2. We're going to get right into point four of the outline, which is building the quickening life-giving temple of God. Let me reiterate for you. We talked about in the beginning, all throughout the beginning of creation, that God wanted to have a relationship with men. And we showed you different examples from Adam clear up to Abraham. We then talked about how David, Solomon, their hearts were to build God. Well, first of all, God came to the nation of Israel and they had a tabernacle, a long oblong tent, because God wanted to come down and abide in it and be with them in that tabernacle. Then we talked about they wanted uh, this one, this is the temple, by the way, or the tabernacle, I'm sorry, was a portable tent that they could easily take down and move all around the wilderness because that's where they were traveling at the time. That's why they needed a portable meeting house, that tent that they could easily uh, put up and then take down, okay? So they had that. And then David, when, when the kings came about, David and Solomon, they had a heart to build God a house. And of course, we know that uh, Solomon built the temple of God. That was the next point. And then we talked about in the new covenant that God would not be satisfied, you know, to meet in some mountain or meet in Jerusalem in some synagogue, but he wanted to dwell with man. The time will come when men will truly worship me in the spirit and truth. And we course tied in Romans 12 that shows so beautifully that true and proper worship is in our through our bodies by offering our bodies as living sacrifices, right? So that's what we've talked about so far. And now we're to point four of my message or outline, building the quickening, life-giving temple of God. So now we're going to move into something even greater. It's wonderful. And we've already just read the last scripture in Corinthians back on the, the last scripture I talked about, that we are the temple of God. And that's individually. But now we're going to see something even more beautifully that's what these verses are about in Ephesians, that we read the verse at the beginning, and this is the verses we were on, because we already covered part of this passage before, but we needed to cover this last part, and I'm going to read this again, just these last verses here. And now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, we went over that, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, we're talking about a, a living building, okay, we're going to get into this, being fitted and joined together, 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? You're being built together into a temple. And it's a picture of a, it's a metaphorical picture of the body of Christ as a building and then kind of morphing into a regular physical body. And that's what we're really going to dissect now in the rest of this message, the rest of this lesson. I want to go on a little bit further before we quit today. I think we're just going to touch on a few things here. Paul addresses the apex of what men and women were created for, the most intimate relationship of all. That is being made into a living, breathing tabernacle for Abba. Let me read that again. Paul addresses the apex of what you and I were created for, the most intimate relationship of all, being made into a living, breathing tabernacle for Abba. And we're talking about corporately. He wants to, yes, do that individually. That's what first has to happen once you get saved and born again and just renewed and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. Then he lives in you, but he wants us to come together corporately and he will be inside of us corporately. That's the beauty of this message here. That is the living, breathing temple of God that we're going to see that he's building it with individuals, not just one person, okay? Here we see a word picture presented to us of a building, and buildings may seem cold, inanimate, and austere at times, and yet this building blossoms into the figure of a physical body, what I have called the living, breathing temple of Abba, or the quickening temple of Abba. You know, we sang that song. It means so much to me. 1 Corinthians 15.45 talked about Adam. That's where the word quickening is used. And the word really means life-giving. That's literally what it means, that Adam, the second Adam, the first Adam was of the earth, earthy, he died. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, was a life-giving spirit. And this temple will be a life-giving temple. Remember how I sang, this is a house of miracles? The temple of God collectively is going to bring life to those that enter in, so to speak, to those that come, to the world, you know, that, that it goes out in, all right? And we're going to get into that more. What could present a more intimate personal picture and example than that of our human body? This word picture is a reminder of how close we can choose to be to Abba, experiencing his power, his might, his love through being built or constructed by him together with other saints in the household of God into a holy habitation in which he would be pleased to dwell. Woo. Isn't that powerful? That's very powerful. I think for today, we're going to stop there. We're about halfway through our study, the quickening, life-giving temple of God, the house of miracles. We're going to come back to this next week and continue on. We have about half the outline to go through. So thank you again for joining the Kingdom Corner podcast, and we'll see you next time. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on the Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Guide. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner.